Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. The Links and Locks Podcast. Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm Roberto Arguello of Action Network, and I'm joined this week by Spencer Aguiar. Excited to have you, Spencer. You can find Spencer, if you're listening at home, on Twitter, at TOffSports. Our normal third member of our crew, Nick Bretwish, is unable to join us this evening, unfortunately, but we've still got his best bet, and you can find more of his thoughts in our best bets file They're on the Action Network website and app. But without further ado, let's get into our preview this week for the Memorial Tournament presented by Workday. It's there at Jack Nicklaus's course, Muirfield Village in Dublin, Ohio. Another designated event on the PGA Tour. Tons of big names at the top. And Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm right there at the top of the odds board. As usual, Scotty Scheffler, 15 straight top 12 finishes. But before we talk about the big guns, and who we're betting outright. Let's get into our best bets. Spencer, what is your best bet for the Memorial this week? It's not my favorite head-to-head board that we've gotten this season. I only had about 15 points of value on this play, so if you want to call it a best bet, I would tentatively word it as that because I didn't necessarily find a bunch of value, but I will roll with Hideki Matsuyama minus 110 Mm. over Sam Burns. All right. You want to get into the cap? We've just got just the two of us, so we can... uh... We can elaborate a little bit longer here. Yeah, I, I my model thought Burns was one of the most overpriced golfers of a name listed inside the top 20 favorites of this field. Uh, I talk about this all the time. I don't usually love going near this part of the board for a full tournament head-to-head matchup. Still, though, my overall profile was for Hideki was intriguing to try and gain extra exposure on him this week. If I could meant if it meant I could, you know, take on an overpriced and shaky name like Sam Burns. Uh, I'll have a lot more answers with Hideki as we move across this show this week, but I think there's a couple answers out there. Like I would give a very similar sentiment when we talk about maybe a Cam Young over Matthew Fitzpatrick, a Siwoo Kim over Wyndham Clark. Some of those numbers have moved recently. Those were matchups that I ultimately decided to pass on for one reason or another, just because there wasn't enough value there. But it's hard in a reduced size field to find many mistakes on these boards, especially when shops seem to be shading away from offering the glaring error 
of two golfers further down the slate. It doesn't mean that you can't find some of those matchups if you shop around, but at least from what I've seen this week, it's typically involved two fade candidates against one another. That's not necessarily something I'm looking to take on either. Like, yeah, one fade candidate's great when I can get a name that I at least want to play that week in some semblance of the market. It's a completely different answer when it's two golfers that I would be looking to take on. So, you know, talking about Burns here, he ranked 35th overall in my sheet that landed him 20 positions below consensus when we look at an outright number when we compare him to other names on the board. And then it just comes down to the questionable total driving plus GIR percentage combination that I ran on him that I do worry might cause him some trouble this week. My model landed him 88th in this field when combining both of those categories into one. Uh, that made him the largest faller that I had in expected total driving since the inaccuracy that he suffered off the tee did hurt him more than it would some players. And uh, he landed 115th out of 120 golfers when looking at that in good drive percentage. I think the one thing that I want to talk about with good drive percentage just very quickly, though, you know, obviously I mentioned Cam Young being a player that I like this week. The mm -hmm. big difference with Cam Young and Sam Burns in this spot, taking two different players in a matchup that doesn't necessarily exist, but Cam Young, when we look at courses that have easy to hit fairways, which is what we have here, an extremely thick rough, actually became one of the better total drivers of the ball when you tried to find accuracy. Like if I'm running accuracy numbers, I'd rather look at that course specific, trying to mimic a venue to the player that I'm looking at this week. Like, I don't think it helps to say Cam Young is inaccurate off the tee. Like, sure, we know he's long and we know he's inaccurate, but how does he handle one of these venues where we do get, you know, a multiple cent in percent increase in uh, driving accuracy. We do get a massive reduction in GIR percentage. Like to me, that answer kind of shows we're trying, and we'll talk about this more when we get to the course. I, I know this is already a long answer here, Roberto, but when we get to the course here, you kind of see this total driving answer to where I think that numbers have been mitigated a little bit to where it's really important that you find a fairway. And when we're talking about a golfer like Burns, who's bad finding fairways on a normal course, but now is also bad finding fairways on a course specific sort of venue like this, there was just enough red flags that I found in my model to where I was willing to punch that ticket. As I said, it's only about 15 points of value. Uh, not the best answer I'm going to give for this show, but it's one of those tournaments where there's just not a ton out there. I'll follow that up with Nick's best bet. He sent it into our chat, so I'll share it here. He bet... Harris English top 40 at plus 120. Harris English had a pretty strong week last week at the Charles Schwab Challenge. And he notes English's recent form where his iron play has been lights out throughout May. And if you look at what he's done going through April and in March, lost strokes gained in four straight tournaments. But then since the end of April, gained strokes in four straight tournaments on approach and then gained in seven of eight around the greens as well, which will be important with the thick rough. It was four inches, a three grass mix, so some inconsistent lies there in the rough as well. Harris English looks suited to do well this week, according to Nick. And last week, by the way, the Hammer Kid came out. You faded Michael Block, and I actually went 47th or better. 47th must be my lucky number. Um, I but made Emiliano Griot 47th or better, and he actually won the dang thing. So we swept the board with our best bets. Let's see if we can keep it going. Uh, no word on if this is a hammer kid play for Nick, but he's going Harris English top 40 at plus 120. And then for my best bet, I'm actually going to go 48th or worse for Keith Mitchell. I don't love the board this week, but I really like this bet. Specifically, 
this course is going to emphasize approach play and around the green play. And those are not strengths for Keith Mitchell. He's 149th in strokes gained approach this year, 120th in strokes gained around the green. And not only are those his weaknesses, but they've been consistently poor over the last month and a half or so. He's lost strokes on approach in six consecutive tournaments and around the green in five consecutive tournaments. And he does not have a single top 50 finish in each of his last five stroke play events. Once again, this is 48th or worse for Keith Mitchell, the guy with the sweetest visor on the PGA Tour. But that approach play is not up to, up to par right now. He bombs it off the tee. He piggybacked on Sung JM uh, throughout the Zurich Classic in that top 10 finish for them in that event. But outside of that, he hasn't done very well recently on tour. And his history here at Muirfield Village, he's only gained strokes on approach once in five starts. So I'm going to fade him. I think he's got miscut potential this week. But he can even make the cut in this field of 120 players and still finish outside of that top 47. So I'm fading the Georgia Bulldog this week. Spencer, you want to get into your course preview for Muirfield Village Golf Club? Sure. So it's over 7,500 yards, par 72 bent grass screens. I think you hear that yardage amount on the scorecard and immediately get pushed in this direction of believing this course will play similarly to other distance venues we get yearly. Extended properties of this length often equal a bomb and gouge mindset for the field. I talked about this a second ago where I don't necessarily be, believe that's the case here, but uh, there's a lot of numbers when you try to reproject the data out that just really starts pushing you in a different area. We did get 150 yards added to this tournament in 2021, but that move almost shifted and reversed the data expectation of years past, since it all of a sudden started to highlight the need for accuracy over distance. When we look into the four inch rough that you just talked about, Roberto, and then these fiery greens that are nearly impossible to stop your second shot out of when playing from the thicker stuff. I think, you know, obviously approach excellence and around the green and, and all those answers are still going to be highly indicative for who can find success here. I don't want to say that all of a sudden this is some driver heavy course because it's not, but here's the two key pieces to the puzzle that at least I found that pushed me in this area to where I do think some form of total driving specifically geared towards the driving accuracy portion does matter here. So 71.3% driving accuracy here in 2022 that's on top of being 59.2% GIR percentage. Both of those metrics landed over 5% off their expected production rates if you compare that to a random track on tour, which includes the GIR total dropping an astounding 9% here while accuracy climbed 5.5%. What that tells me above anything else is a concerted effort was made to reward driving accuracy and punish wayward drives since the field is clearly trying to hit the short grass off the tee so they don't get punished with that GIR rate. Um, for that reason, I heavily emphasize weighted tee to green to try and mimic Muirfield Village. To me, a course-specific answer always beats that mundane blueprint that could be used anywhere. Uh, that's also one surefire way I can get unique for either DFS. I also think it presents contrarian answers in other markets. I think in the head-to-head -head market, when you're trying to beat a book and you're trying to run numbers differently, like... You obviously have to be careful when you start presenting that mad scientist answer. And I kind of flirt that on that line real closely with it because I, I do get very crazy with some of these results. But I think for me, it really just comes down to understanding these venues, understanding where you need larger deviations and others. And, and I think the larger deviation comes from when you haven't found past success at a venue. Like 
Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result from it. The last thing I want to do, this is as a forthcoming answer here, this has not been a tournament that I have found a ton of success on throughout my five years that I've given plays. It's one of the lower end uh, tournaments that I've had in production. So if I keep running a model the same way, that's that's literally, Roberto, the answer of insanity there. Like, either I believe that what I am doing is just running such on the wrong side of EV, which is clearly the answer. Five tournaments doesn't necessarily mean that it's not. Or maybe that's something that just I was weighing was not correct with it. And, and I think this changed in 2021 when the distance got added. I immediately wanted to add distance into my model and last year turned into this unmitigated disaster where clearly that was not the answer to find bomb and gouge. The players that were finding success were the ones that were gaining strokes off the tee by hitting a bunch of fairways, were then able to scramble from there who had decent approach numbers. Like you kind of add all that together, you get this prototypical, find me the best tee to green player that you can. If that means it neutralizes putters like the Hideki's, the Keegan Bradley's, all the better with it. And that's a reason why I end up played, ended up playing a lot of these players for this event. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't run the model of years past. So when I went mad scientist with my answer this week, there was a reason why I did it. It wasn't just like, okay, we're going to go wonky with the data and try to get different with it. It's like, no, I think from a statistical perspective, when I ran this from 2022, there were massive deviations that occurred that maybe were not the same answers of years past. And if I'm able to jump on that, that's where these answers of some of these 40 to one golfers that I did punch outright tickets on, maybe there's more value on those numbers than meets the eye. In addition to all that, I also weighed approach play from 175 to 200 yards more heavily mm -hmm. than usual, but all in all approach play is going to be important throughout a bunch of different distances this week. Uh, I think it's a really nice test. One of the better tests on the PGA tour overall. And I think it's going to be the cream rising to the top this week, but you mentioned a couple of names that intrigued me and I want to hear who's on your outright card this week. You mentioned some guys in the 40 to one range. There was a lot that I liked about the middle of the board when the odds were released right. on Monday. Um, you know, us as a show, and I will include Nick into this, we're never going to be able to outrun these high-end golfers. Like, we're not going to put the Scotty Schefflers on our list. And there's a realistic possibility that Scheffler or Rom or Cantlay or Xander win this event. I understand that when I get into the market, those are the most four, like the four most likely winners to me. I'd add Rory to that mix. I think Rory has a lot of upside this week. So if I'm not going to necessarily be playing those golfers, I need to find value in other spots. And, you know, Nick and I were talking about this, and this is one of the most unfortunate answers that can be given. Like, not only do we now have the sub 10 to one numbers on Scheffler and Rom and all those players, we've gotten this, this shift. And I've specifically noticed this shift in like the past six months where guys like Cantlay, and Xander, these names that I personally was trying to bet almost every single week at the 25 to 30 to one number, that's not available anymore. You're not going to find mm -hmm. that. And you're really not getting the shift on the back end where a lot of these players are drifting up, up as far as you would want. The one answer that I would give different this week is I thought there were some players in this 40 to run one range or higher that did get a bit of a shift. So, uh, you know, you're gonna have to shop around for these numbers. Some have moved for me. Some have moved against me. You might be able to find better out there. I started with Cameron Young at 40 to one. Ooh. I think most people probably forget that Young held the day one lead here last season and entered Sunday just outside the top 10 before shooting an 84 in round four. Roberto, that's not a fun answer. Anytime a guy shoots an 84, <laughs> that means that things can go wrong for us. But That's Michael Block territory from last week. 
I mean, you're not kidding about that, but I'm kind of willing to obviously ignore that. Like we know that's not Cameron Young and, and I'm willing to ignore above anything else, this recent form that we've gotten from him. I think on outrights, you're always able to shoot for the upside because if Young does miss the cut, so be it. It's a 41 bet that didn't come in. I'm willing to bet on that upside in these spots. But we know of the illness that he's talked about to where he's lost a bunch of weight. He says he's now fully healthy in this position. And I think from a course fit standpoint, like obviously it's a funny answer. And I talked about this a little bit already. So it kind of ruined some of like the luster behind saying this after the fact, but I think that driving accuracy and good drive percentage is a really basic category that if you're going to run it just in that way of it, Cameron Young's going to grade horribly. Like I understand that he's going to miss a bunch of fairways. There's not going to be a bunch to like, but when all of a sudden you start running the data to where, okay, let's talk about venues that have thick rough, easy to hit fairways, that combination, all of a sudden now he becomes the number one expected total driver for me. And that's even including accuracy into the mix there. So I think Cameron Young has legitimate win equity in this tournament. I thought 40 to one was a very enticing price for him. I took Hideki Matsuyama at 40 to one. Mm. I believe, and I've always stated this, that Hideki's best upside comes from these challenging tournaments that do mitigate putting on a fast surface and then highlight his tee to green acumen. That's a really hard combination that most players cannot bring to the table. It's one of the reasons why he won the Masters. I think you can get these high-end finishes from him any single time that you, you know, reduce the winning score from being 25 under and say, okay, we have a really pure fast surface here. Make a couple putts. Just don't get completely ruined by that facet of your game. And then be one of the best ball strikers in the world. And if you can put that together, I thought 40 to 1 was a really intriguing number. He was second in my model behind only Scotty Scheffler for expected tee to green production. Uh, Roberto, this is our guy at this point. I think we're on him almost every single week. Sung JM, I grabbed him at 40 to one. I know that number moved almost immediately on Monday. I'd like to think it's because you and I are punching tickets and markets <laughs> are reacting and they just know that more hurt is going to come if they leave it at that number. But um, I, it's kind of a very similar answer that I gave with Hideki where find a fast bent grass greens, find a tournament where he can get steady production. I thought 40 to one was a really good price. Ricky Fowler, 45 to one. I don't know that I have bet Ricky in like three years at this point. Um, and all of a sudden now I'm jumping in at a sub 50 to one number, which might sound shocking from a statistical perspective. I do believe he's backed back at this point. The numbers are trending in all the critical areas that I found necessary from a long-term sense. Um, he also experienced a 13 spot improvement from his baseline and weighted T to green and 29 spot advancement for weighted proximity. So what that tells me is not only is he trending in the right direction here in 2023, he now also gets a venue that should really put him in a position where he can find success here. I took Siwoo Kim at 80 to one. Unfortunately, that, that was on bet 365. That's a number that just got beaten down over the past 24 hours. I had proper at 50 to one. So if you can get any number that's above that, I think that's a number that's worth looking into. And then I wrapped up my card with Keegan Bradley at 100 to one. I don't know how much I love this in retrospect since the recent course history is troubling for a golfer that posted exactly zero top 10 results in my model out of six statistical categories that I ran. Um, that doesn't necessarily feel like a recipe to win this event, but I thought 100 was a good number. I know that there's been some 80s out there. I think that's still a good number. Maybe in in if I could go back and redo this, I might prefer this as a top 10 or a top 20 wager over anything. Um, really for me, it came down to, do I want Keegan at hundred or do I want Tom Kim at 60? 
give or take mm-hmm. on those numbers. And I decided that I didn't necessarily think that Tom Kim was going to win this tournament in his first attempt here. There are some indicators that playing this tournament historically, specifically once you start playing it well, that you kind of can roll over those results better with it. Hasn't necessarily stopped Tom Kim in the past. I think this is a really good tournament for him. I also think it's, if you told me he won this on Sunday, this might be one of those that I regret that I don't have the ticket on him because I do like his upside. But, you know, it's one of those things, Roberto, to where the 100 to 1 ticket's in. I'm not cashing out at this point. I'm going to let it roll. The pain of cashing it out would be too too much to bear if for some reason he won this event. So um, I think it's a nice number grab above anything else. I don't know if I necessarily think Keegan's going to win, though. And that would be like my counter argument against that play there. So I've only got two tickets on my outright card right now, and we both have them in common. So I have Siwoo Kim. He's out there at 60 to one right now. You mentioned just why you are waiting more driving accuracy this week uh, relative to than you have in the past. And that fits Siwoo Kim very well. He's 25th in strokes gain approach overall in the year, and he's 11th in approach proximity in that key range from 175 to 200 yards, where about 21% of approaches have come from over the last couple of years. And then he's also 35, 35th in strokes gained off the tee. He's also got top 20s in three consecutive starts at the Memorial. And in those starts, he gained strokes putting around the green and approach in all three. So it seems like he should be very comfortable here. And this one's my favorite outright play by a significant amount this week. And then like you, I also did punch a ticket on Keegan Bradley. He doesn't have that elite skill. Like you mentioned, not in the top 10 in any of those six key categories for you, but he doesn't really have any weaknesses either. Top 55 on the tour in strokes gain off the tee on approach and putting as his putting is much improved from years past. We know that he went through um, a period of time where he was searching for his putter after the anchoring ban, but he's fully back gain strokes on approach in nine of his last 10. It hasn't been elite, but it's been steady and consistent. And then around the green gain strokes in five straight and then also eight of 10. So just really solid form for Keegan Bradley uh, also gained straight strokes off the tee in five straight. But I don't know that he's got that extra gear to win this week. But at 80 to 100 to 1, I think I'm willing to find out. I also bet him in the bet 365 player placement market at 42nd or better. Because I think he's got a high floor in addition to potentially high ceiling this week as well. So I like that 42nd or better. Um, you can also bet in top 40 or in similar other markets as well. Uh, you mentioned top 20 and top 10. So... Who knows, whatever you like, depending on the number and if you get ties paid out in full wherever you have your books available, uh, worth considering for Keegan Bradley this week. The but... only reason why I pushed Keegan Bradley up as an answer as a top 10 bet or a top 20 bet versus the bet 365 answer that you just gave. And I, and I certainly think that's something worth considering also is just because the course history has been so up and down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times when I get these trajectories in my model when a player kind of possesses that ceiling that I'm looking for, but the course history has gone in the other direction. That's usually the answer. And it didn't necessarily work out last week the way that I would have liked. Both of the players made the cup, but Siwoo and KH Lee presented that same answer to where the course history was not good for them last week, but the statistical data, at least in my model, expressed that they were players that I thought had legitimate top 10 potential. Kind of the same answer that I'm landing on with Keegan here. The stats look so good for me the way that I ran this. Like, yeah, we can say that he doesn't have any of the results inside the top 10 for me, but he's also trending in that like 11th to 30th range in almost every single category that I Mm. looked at. And I think there's a lot about his form in 2023 that I do really like, which 
would be the same answer that I'd give for Siwoo. I think in 2023 here, there's a lot of statistical numbers that I like. The only difference is he also has the course history to back up with this. So um, I, I think it's one of those spots to where you're okay. And I think that a lot of the names that we talked about are the names that you can consider trying to take on the big players in this tournament that, you know, it's probably going to be the week where Scotty Scheffler finally gains strokes putting and he wins this by like seven shots. And we look back on this and it's like, oh yeah, it's so obvious. We're talking about a tee to green venue. And I don't know if I've ever seen anybody this dominant tee to green as we've seen from Scotty Scheffler this year. Like I was telling Nick this on our better golf pod show together, which is one of the most astounding things I've ever heard in my life before. Like if you take Scotty, who's averaging about 2.5 shots on average gained T to green. Second is Rory at 1.8. So 0.7 shot difference. The That's such a big difference. I can't even explain it. But take the difference there from Rory to about Brendan Steele, which I have enough data on Brendan Steele that I'm still running from his time on the PGA Tour. All of a sudden, like, you're telling me the difference between Scotty to Rory is the same difference from Rory to Steele. I think that shows how good Scheffler has yeah. been this year. The second that he starts making putts, he's going to run away with one of these tournaments. And with this being a really pure putting surface, kind of gave the same answer last week, but with this being such a pure putting surface, I could see this being the week where he finally puts it together. And all of what we just talked about with value might end up being for not in this spot, but we're also not going to, bet Scotty at seven to one. And I'd rather find my exposure elsewhere. And if Scotty beats me, he beats me. And there's a good chance that Scotty does beat me this week, but I I'm understanding of that. And I thought I'd grab value that at least made sense. Smith, you mentioned that we're not the type of people who are going to be betting anybody shorter than 10 to one really most weeks ever. Um, I think the only time we've had anyone bet someone shorter than 10 to one or in that range was in fact, Scotty Scheffler in the fall um, where he finished second, but those were very, very different caliber fields than a designated event um, and different golf course as well. But uh, I want to go back to some other, so no, but Scotty Scheffler, I'm not going to bet him seven to one, but if there was a week where I was going to bet him seven to one, it would be this week. I think this I would is agree, unfortunately. Lose, <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm not betting it. Just I'm not doing it. Um, you also mentioned Cameron Young and why he fits a course like this with generous fairways, but also thick rough that ball speed that he has fourth on the PGA tour, 186 miles per hour helps you get through the rough when it's really thick. Um, we see a lot of guys on the rough stick player on courses like a Torrey pines where the bombers get rewarded because they have that club head speed that helps them get through the rough more easily than other players. And that's the case for Cameron young. Uh, like you said, get some experience after playing here for the first time last year. So I'm very intrigued. I didn't see him at 40 to one. Um, someone I'll consider live. I'm also looking at Justin Thomas and Shane yeah. Lowry as guys who I like their chances just given their history with short game and approach play, but I just don't trust their putters to bet them at the given numbers at 35 and 55 to one. I'm also very intrigued by Victor Hovland. The short game is still a question mark. It's getting better, but this is one of the ultimate short game tests on the PGA tour. I'm intrigued by him, but I didn't love him at the numbers 16, 18 to one available out there. And I'm also just Garrett Scheffler. And then I'm also considering Matt Fitzpatrick. He just hasn't been reaching those ceiling weeks that much uh, this year. No huge weeks on approach. RBC Heritage, very different golf course than this one. But I thought that one fit to his strengths where he could place it more so rather than 
playing in a big ballpark like this. And then also Colin Morikawa, someone I'm intrigued by just because approach play is emphasized here and he is the ultimate approach player on the PGA Tour. It's just that putter scares me. So I haven't bet any of those guys, but those are guys that I'm considering and looking at live this week. Of course, we'll also be keeping tabs on John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler to make sure they don't just wreck the board for us. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Spencer, what else do you have on your card this week? So I have three placement bets here to talk about. I took Christian Bezadenhout top 40 at plus 160. Mm. I thought plus 160 was a highly intriguing price for him. Uh, Bezaden had experienced a 46 spot improvement for Mirfield village and expected T to green. When I mimicked the production inside my model for this course, the iron plus around the green game ranked 14th in this field. And while the distance of the track and we've kind of gone back and forth of how much that actually matters here, it did cause a drop for expected weighted scoring inside my model for him. I thought it also too severely punished him in other ways. Like when I ran that driving percentage that I was talking about, or a good drive percentage, where I tried to mimic it to these types of courses, he actually went the opposite direction. Um, we know him to be an accurate driver of the ball. I think there's probably a middle there somewhere between what my model said the answer was and what you would expect from him from like a long-term driving accuracy answer. So I, I, I think at plus 160, it's just a really good number grab, grab price at this point. I don't necessarily expect him in the tournament. I don't know what his upside actually is for this week. 17th in my model for safety though. That means a lot for me when I'm trying to find these top 40 answers and specifically when I can get it in here in a spot at plus 160. I took Adam Svensson uh, top 40 at plus 190. My model had a very steady expectation for him almost across the board. He landed inside the top 20% of this field for anticipated safety for the Memorial. Very similar answer that I just talked about with Bizayden out, not quite as good, but that safety answer meant a lot for me as a top 40. Uh, that's always something that's going to help. And then, Roberto, I don't know if I've ever bet this player in my entire mm. life in any market. I'm going to do it here at plus 280 for a top 40. Chez Reevee. Um, okay. I don't know if you have any thoughts on Chez Reevee this week. I don't. I might be on my own island here, but I think the current form is trending with five top 50 finishes in his last six starts. The expected weighted tee to green for this venue is 47 spots better above his expected baseline on a random course. So I viewed this as a situation where I got the current form that is looking in that's trending in the right direction. 
I see the course history. I mean, even historically, he's been fine here recently. But on top of it, the statistical aspect of why I think he should be good on this course really is trending in the right direction. I guess the one negative answer I would give is we are talking about a big tournament. We are talking about a tournament with pretty much all the big names here. Maybe that means that the upside isn't necessarily good enough to be able to enter this range. But what I see, it's a 120-man field. If he can come inside the top 40, I kind of think he's going to hover around that. I do believe he's going to make the cut. So if you're telling me he can make the cut, and from there, let's just see what can happen on Sunday at plus nearly 300 at plus 280. But there was a lot of value to take that shot on that ticket. I like all three of those plays. Um, just I'll jump on Revy because I got him up here. But the putting, gain strokes putting in seven straight tournaments. So that's really strong. Uh, the approach play, also really strong. And you mentioned five top 50s in the last six. Let's mention what you didn't mention there. Six missed cuts in a row before that. Yeah. So he was really kind of down and out looking like a guy who had he not won, I believe last year would have been in trouble as far as losing his car potentially this year. But of course, when you win, you get your car for a couple of years and he was playing really poorly. But since then the last six starts gain strokes in putting in all of them uh, gain strokes on approach in five of six. And then he's just always really accurate off the tee. We mentioned he's not very long, but around the grain around the green, excuse me, not super strong, but did have a really strong week last week. I believe that was his best one on tour this year since the Fortinet Championship, the first week of the season. And historically, on this course where at Mirfield Village, it's really tough around the green, he gained strokes five out of six times. So perhaps this is a course that kind of suits his eye like that. Gain strokes on approach in five of six tournaments at Mirfield Village as well. When we also include the Workday Charity Open from 2020. I like to play a lot. Plus 2A, I think I'm going to tell you on that one. And then I the one that I really like is Bazaden out. We've been on him just about every week in some form. One of us has. And we've mentioned, like Revy, that approach play surging for Bazaden out. And then we know the putter is super strong. And you mentioned the driving accuracy. Been above the given tournament that week's driving accuracy uh, percentage average in 13 of the last 14 track tournaments. So you know he's going to give himself opportunities from the fairway. That approach play is stronger than just about ever, and the putter is always solid. And on these pure bent grass surfaces, I think it favors the guys who are very elite putters and guys who are really poor putters because it's just going to be tough to hold them uh, to hold putts on these lightning quick surfaces, especially given the challenges on approach and around the green. So I like those plays. I'm tailing the Bazaden out one, and I'm tailing the Review one as well. I've got one top 40 also to share, or sorry, top 30. I'm doing Benny on top 30 uh, at plus 200. He's an elite around the green player, second on tour in that metric, gaining over a half stroke around the green, which is pretty impressive. And then he's also gained strokes around the green in seven of eight, but since he's second on tour, you know he's doing it consistently. And then off the tee, he is surging. He's really long, and he's gained strokes off the tee in six straight, including four top 21 finishes in his last six events on tour. We know the putter's a weakness and it has been consistently throughout his career. But like I said, those guys who are horrific putters this week, I'm not afraid to bet them given the lightning quick surfaces and that they'll be challenging for everyone. And then he's also got some strong course history. We know Bryson DeChambeau got to believe his second PJ tour win here in 2018, but he did so by winning in a playoff over Benny on. And he's also got, and Benny on also has four top 25 finishes in his last seven starts 
at Mirfield Village. I like the form with him. I like the history. And I like the profile for him statistically for this golf course. So I'm going to bet him for top 30 at plus 200. You can also get him for top 40 in that plus 130 range if you want to get a little bit more safe. Obviously, a lot of those answers that you just talked about for Mirfield Village with him is going to go into this number that I'm going to state here. But 13th in my model for Ben on in strokes gain total on Nicholas tracks mm. over the past two years of numbers that I ran. So I think it's a really nice course fit for him. And then the one thing that I just want to uh, circle back to, which has Revy. So when I see a guy like Revy, that is obviously a big long shot in this tournament, whether you're looking on DFS or inside the betting market, like you're, you're, there's big numbers, like even for a top 40 here, he's nearly three to one. When you're telling me that like the around the green game is troubling, yes. But when you're telling me that the expected way to tee to green, which I ran a lot of, a lot of around the green into that number, like that, that carried a substantial amount to where it should have hurt him. And it did hurt him a little bit, but the way to proximity looked great. The way to total driving was so good that he jumped from this golfer that was 90th in expected tee to green production on any standard course all the way up to that 43rd number that I have for wow. him this week. And that's including like, that's the really important thing that I want to note to that is that's including the around the green game, heavily including it into that mix. So I think there's a reason why he is able to find success out here. And, and I do think that it's a really nice course fit for him for what he's been able to produce recently. And I also agree that I think like of the ones I mentioned, Bezayden out's probably my favorite of the three. And want to give a, a reminder that the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game, get $200 free. Spencer, did you list all of your plays on your card so far this week? Yep, that's everything that I have this week. All right, I want to get to a guy that you did not mention surprisingly so far and it's a guy who is playing a home game this week pj tour website lists him as a resident of forest lake ohio just under an hour away or around 30 minutes away from dublin ohio where mirfield village is and that is one jason day what are your thoughts on jason day this week i'll say this roberto the last time i went on to this show and i said something negative about jason day which i liked him more for the tournament that he won than i like him this week he went on to win the event <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I think if I'm directly comparing day with a lot of the players in his general area, like whether you want to talk an outright answer, I would rather bet Justin Thomas. I would rather bet Colin Morikawa. I think those are two names that you mentioned when you were talking about uh, options that you're thinking about adding, depending on where this board plays out. I think those are two names that like keep an eye on very closely this week. If you're talking about the head to head market, you know, I'd probably rather play a lot of those names in the range. Like, it doesn't mean that I dislike Jason Day. I want to be very careful with that answer here. But <laughs> there's been there's been a lot of pressure for him historically at this tournament. Um, we've seen him recently produce better than we've seen from years past with him. Like, he's kind of been up and down with a bunch of missed cuts at this venue. Don't know what the answer is there. And a lot of times when we get the better finishes is when he has not been as great a form. I think sometimes when he comes with good form, he's bombed this tournament. Um, you know, he's a fringe top 25 guy for me and pretty much always that I ran my model. But when you're also talking about a golfer that needs to be a top 10 sort of caliber play for you, there is 
going to be negative leverage and for DFS and negative trajectory for equity in different ways that I ran it. So I think because of that answer, Jason day has now won this golf tournament. So uh, <laughs> if that means we can get Jason day on this show and uh, hopefully I'll use this as my sales pitch that every single time I go against you, you win. I just don't know if I'm going to get there in any market this week. It doesn't mean that he's a fade candidate for me. I'm also not looking to take him on, but I'm not trying to find ways to back him necessarily. He's lost strokes in this tournament, or I should say on this golf course, because there was the work day in 2020. He's lost strokes in this tournament on approach in 10 of his last 12 starts. However, he does have two top seven finishes in his last three starts on this course. So take that for what you will. It's been a roller coaster for Jason Day, but he is playing a home game this week. So we'll see how that plays out. It'll be fun to follow him no matter what happens. Two missed cuts in his last three starts sandwiched around a victory at the Byron Nelson. Spencer, are you ready for our rapid fire round? Yes, let's do it. All right. Let's talk about some of the players whom we don't have on our cards this week, but maybe they're making a move or you see some line that you're considering them betting on or against them this weekend. And we'll try to get you a little bit more information so you can make some smarter plays. Scotty Scheffler, we both think he is justifiably priced as the favorite over John Rahm plus 700 on Bet365's enhanced win over Rahm at plus 750. What number would you need to bet each of those players? I, I like both of them. Like, that's the one thing I'll say to it. I guess if you could give me, it's always the cop-out answer that I give with Scheffler, it seems like every week. If you could give me 10 to 1, I would be more or less inclined to essentially single bullet the week on Scheffler. I'd still have a little bit of room if I wanted to add somebody else, depending on exactly how I built it, but Usually that 10 to one answer in these more substantial fields like this is the answer I want to give for Rom. My model says like 12 to one. That's not the number that I would want. Like if I'm going to bet it, I'd rather have 15 or 16 to one um, from a value answer there, but that's just such an unrealistic answer. What would you consider a fair price for Patrick Cantley this week? You mentioned, or, and we'll throw Xander Shoffley in there as two guys that, you and I both bet this year around the 20, 25 to one range, but they're clearly not there. Cantley is 11 to one and Shoffley 15 to one on bet three, six, five currently. I think that's what's unfortunate about this. Like the 15 to one price is pro I mean, and they're, I mean, that's, what's like shocking is Cantley at this point is 10 to one, 11 to one at almost any single book that you look at. Um, even Xander seems to be sub 15 to one. I think like 15, 16 to one is probably where the fair number is. That's kind of the answer that I've given for one year with these two golfers, though. And that's why every single time I was getting them at 20, 25, 30, they were almost just like auto bets for me at that point. And unfortunately, I never really had any of that come to fruition where I won money off of it. And it's one of those unfortunate situations to where I think the model and my answers were proven correct that those numbers were not correct, but I never could take advantage of it. And the market ended up overreacting maybe not overreacting, but ended up reacting to it to the sense now to where both guys are sub 15 to one. And I've been priced out of the market at this point. Let's talk about a guy who has been shorter than 15 to one for the majority of the year, but is 15 to one this week. And that's Rory McIlroy. I really like his upside this week. What do you think about a price that you would play him at potentially? I wanted a 20. I, I I do think that I, I've seen people out there say that they were able to find a 16 on him. Um, I think that's probably a fair number. It's one of those spots where he's an elite player that's been 
a little bit too shifted. Now, part of the problem there is all these names at the top are so reduced every single week that once you do see some of this enhancement take place, you see a 16 to one and think, oh, well, this is the greatest value I've ever seen before, where this is more of where the proper number actually is. Mm -hmm. I'm okay if anybody wants to kind of close their eyes, but I'm at 16 to one. Like I had 15 and a half as like the exact number that I thought was proper for him. Um, I'm not going to take a, you know, that small of a difference and necessarily punch a ticket specifically with the value that I did find in the 40 to one range, but uh, no surprises for my end. If Rory ends up winning the tournament this week, like he is right in that mix of you want to call this Scheffler Rom. Xander can't lay him like those are my five favorites and they all have very heightened win equity. I just don't know if at the prices that we have to pay to bet them. Another guy that Nick has really been high on recently. Victor Hovland is 20 to one this week. There's a gap where nobody's priced between 20 and 27 to one on bet three, six, five's enhanced win currently. What do you think about Victor Hovland this week? We didn't touch on him very much. I'm, I'm generally out. Um, I mean, if you could give me like a 40 to one, I would be more intrigued with it. Um, it's one of those things right now. I was just trying to throw it into my model. I was telling you before the show that I crashed my model like minutes before we did this today. So I don't know what my proper is. I'm going to have to do this from the back end, but just eyeballing this right now, I would say 40 is probably proper for him as I try to move this number backwards. Surprisingly for Hovland, he's lost strokes on approach in two of his last three events. But the one tournament in between there was the PGA Championship where he had his best strokes gained approach number for the entire year at plus 2.66 true strokes gain via data golf uh, where he finished in, in a tie for second behind Rooks Kepka. I'm very bullish on Hovland. I don't know that this is the week for him just because of the nature of the rough around the greens. He does have a third place finish here at the Workday Charity Open when it was playing a little bit easier. Rough wasn't as thick, so that benefited him, and he actually gained strokes around the green. But nothing better than a T47 since then. I'm very bullish on his approach play, and so if I could get something in that upper 20s, I think I would pull the trigger just because it is such an elite skill set that I'm willing to look the other way on some of the around the green. But at 20 to 1, it's a little bit too rich for my liking. But I do like Victor Hovland, and I'm very intrigued by him coming up in a few weeks at a few different tracks. So I'll be keeping an eye on him in the near future. Let's talk about a couple guys who if I gave you a ticket on Colin Morikawa and Justin Thomas, they're both currently 27 to one. And we'll throw Tyrrell Hatton in there as well. Say I gave you a ticket on 35 to one on one of those three guys. Which one would you take and why? Uh, well, it, it wouldn't be Tyrrell Hatton for me. I'm lower on him than consensus. Um, I, I guess my answer would be Colin Morikawa if you were to give me a 35 to one on him. But I think it's very close between him and Thomas. Like those are two prices that, if you shop around on Thomas and you can find a 35 out there, I think that if you're able to get that number, that's something worth considering. Um, I think for Morikawa, let me see if I can do this really fast by hand and give you an answer for what was proper for me on Morikawa. I, I guess more guys. in like the 30 mm -hmm. to one range would be proper um, on him. I'm trying to now go through player by player and try to run this one by one right now, which if this is not... <laughs> good airtime. I don't know what is, but um, I, I, I don't know. Like it, it, to me, both of those players possess the upside that I'm looking for Hatton for me. I, I think he's been pushed too far down the board at this point to where he's an elite player, 
there's markets that I, I think he makes more sense. And if you want to play him in a safer way, that that's certainly something to consider. But I'd rather shoot for the upside that my model has on Morikawa and Thomas than trying to bet on like the lack of upside that I have for Hatton this week. I'll say that I slightly lean JT this week over Morikawa just because fair. I think he has that little bit higher upside. But I do think Morikawa has a higher floor relative to Thomas this week just because of that more consistent approach play. But that more consistently poor short game also gives me some pause as well. Yeah. Let's look into if I gave you a 50 to 1 ticket on these two guys. They actually played in a playoff together at the RBC Heritage, Jordan Spieth and Matt Fitzpatrick. Which one would you take? Spieth for me. I, I'm not as high on Fitzpatrick as you are, Roberto. Um, it doesn't mean that I necessarily trust Jordan Spieth, but it's one of those spots where I am willing to bet on the potential that I think he can bring. Like when I ran a model last year, completely different field, completely different part of where Spieth was with his game. He was the number one expected win equity player for me a season ago at this tournament. Wow. Um, didn't get as high this season and this go around with it, but Something that I at least thought was noteworthy when I ran a model. And then just to answer the Victor Hovland question, so I don't say that I think he should be this, uh, 45 to 1 is what I had proper on wow. Hovland. So I am really low on him compared to the market. How about Shane Lowry, Corey Connors, Sahit Digala? If I gave you a ticket on at 60, 65 to 1 on those guys, which one would you take? It's a coin flip for me between Lowry and Connors. Uh, I'm kind of okay with the mentality of making Sahith beat me. Uh, negative trajectory for upside. Like, I don't want to chase the, the victory with him. And I feel like we're starting to reach that mindset right now to where the form has been so good this year and the numbers just keep getting reduced week in and week out that I'm not necessarily looking to chase, you know, whatever is proper with him here. Like, I don't think it's the number that he's at, so I'm not going to get there. Um I, I don't know, Roberto. I mean, like Co Connors and Lowry are literally tied as I'm running the numbers right now. I guess if you make me pick one, I'll say Corey Connors, but I don't necessarily believe Connors is going to win two tournaments in, I mean, what are we at now? Two months, three months, mm -hmm. whatever it's been since the Valero. So look, I mean, he wins the Valero and he seems to win nothing else at this point. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, based off of that answer, I guess it should be Lowry, but my model does like Connors a little bit more. Fun fact about Sahit Diala. So far in two starts here at the Memorial, T32, T5, he's gained strokes putting around the green on approach and off the tee every single time. That's a so, good stat to have. If you're going to win a golf tournament, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. So uh, he's shown that he's comfortable here. I know that our friend Jason Sobel, who picked Emiliano Grillo last week, is very high on Diala this week winning. So we'll see if that happens for him, if Sobel can stay hot. Um, and it would be fun to see Sahith become a winner on the PGA Tour. I, really quickly, Roberto, mm -hmm. I'm going to give a controversial answer here, okay. which I guess in retrospect, I'm going to wish I didn't say this on the show. <laughs> I think the gala should be a minimum, like for fair, 100 to 1. Wow. I, I think just the course form and his recent form, I, I think he's got spikeability. Um that he, he definitely has. We've seen that historically with him. Yeah, I I respect him outright. I I think this is in the on bet three six five currently he is fifty five to one. I think I would have him closer to seventy seventy five. But I don't hate him this week. If you play him outright, if you're a Sahid fan, I think this is a better week to play him than normal, for sure. Um, we'll get you out of here on this one, Spencer. If I gave you an outright ticket seventy five to one on a couple of Knicks guys, Wyndham Clark or Russell Henley, they're both sixty to one on bet three six five. Which one would you take and why would you do it? 
this might be a surprising answer and maybe it's because I'm trying to represent Nick here, but <laughs> I'll say Russell Henley. It's kind of a similar answer that I keep giving about with a lot of these players where I, I think we've reached a point with Wyndham Clark here where the numbers, and I know we're, we're giving like a blanket sort of an statement answer here, question here to where would you take them at this number, which is a different game of, would you take them at the numbers that are out there in the space? Yes. But I think with Clark, when we look at what he's done this season and, and we've talked very highly of him, he's a golfer that I like. I think that when you look at the 2013 or 2013, I don't even know what year we're in right now, Roberto, <laughs> you look at the 2023 form uh, of him and Jason day, there's reasons why they've won. Uh, Ricky Fowler has that same trajectory that we're looking at, but I just worry a little bit that Clark has been pushed too far into this area now to where the value is gone. If you're actually trying to punch a ticket, um, I love Henley's ability and maybe like his win equity isn't where it needs to be, but I love his ability to hit fairways here. I love his ability to be able to produce in some of the areas that I want. Like he was a fringe top 20 guy, Henley that is in almost every single way that I ran my model. And that's not the same answer that I could give about Wyndham Clark, who's a golfer that I really liked, including in tournaments that he won recently at the Wells Fargo. And some of the answers for why I don't like Clark this week, there's a negative trajectory in weighted tee to green. Um, that's not necessarily ideal. Even with the approach numbers massively skyrocketing for me massively. this season, um, there are some problems that I have for him in the specific ranges that I'm trying to find here. Like I ran a little bit, more than most people, I would say like, I mean, it's an equal distribution, but I have a lot from 125 to 150 yards here. Uh, that's not a range that he's been historically great at. We see him do a lot of his, his big time work from 200 plus yards, which you're going to get some of that here. And you're going to specifically get a lot of those super long shots that can stretch to like 225 plus yards. And maybe that's where he can take an advantage, but it's not as if the 200 plus yard shots are necessarily coming as frequently here. It's like when they come, they're coming from a super long distance, but they're not coming as frequently as a normal course. And uh, that worries me ever so slightly for him. Um, he was kind of like a borderline, you know, top 30 guy, no matter how I ran it. And that's not necessarily what I'm looking for when trying to punch an outright ticket. I will say that his performance where he gained, I think over 19 total strokes at the <laughs> Wells Fargo championship, Data Golf has him at 5.17 true strokes gain per round. So that's over 20. Was one of the most impressive performances in recent history on the PJ Tour going back the last couple of years. He gained more strokes that week. I think he was in the top five for the last three years. Um, so maybe we're seeing a new ceiling for him, but we'll see the very different course between Wells Fargo and this week at where there's actually rough around the greens. That's really thick. So a bit of a difference there, a uh, little bit more penal also with the rough and Wyndham Clark, a guy who bombs it, who's not as accurate as most other players off the tee could get away with a little bit more over there at the Wells Fargo. than I think he can here, especially when he did on Sunday, but impressive round for him. And he's going to pop up again at some point this summer I and agree. get in contention. Um, maybe, hopefully not this week because we're not on him, but we'll see. We'll touch base with Nick next week and we'll figure out maybe if he's in a major for us, but before then we're going to have to head out. Spencer, where can the people find you this upcoming week? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at TL Sports. You can also find all the in-tournament stuff that I do over here at Action Network. 3-0 and week last week, which uh, two of those plays ended up in the Action Network article. So 
be sure to keep an eye out on that. I typically produce those articles for anybody that wonders. I do a round one article on Wednesday. Uh, I do one article either on Thursday or Friday, and then I will have a Saturday article where I will tell you what my favorite bet is for the day at any of the legal sports books out there. Awesome. So you can find him at Tee Sports on Twitter. You can find our friend Nick Brettwish at Sticks Picks. That's Sticks with an X. You can find me at Roberto8213. I'll be on tomorrow's Gimme Live show. You can find that on the Action Network's Twitter, YouTube, and then you can play it back if you don't want to watch it live at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Like I said last week, best bet both here and on that show, Emiliano Grillo, 47th or better. He won the thing, and Jason Sobel, my partner on the Gimme, picked him out right. So we'll, we'll try to stay hot for you next week or tomorrow and this week for the memorial. So that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Links and Locks presented by Bet365. As a reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game, get $200 free. Be sure to check out theactionnetwork.com and the Action app for all of our great golf betting and DFS content. We'll have the best bets file up later this evening. That's Tuesday night on Action Network app and website. And you can be sure to follow us on Twitter. As we mentioned, Nick is at Sticks Picks. Spencer is at Tee Off Sports. And I am at Roberto A213. Thanks again to everyone who makes this podcast possible, especially our lead producer, Matt Mitchell, and our guy, Noah Niederhofer, our producer who is working through the late night to keep this show running and get it up as soon as possible. So big shout out to Noah for doing the heavy lifting for us. And thanks again for all you listeners or viewers who watch us on YouTube for tuning in. And we hope that you hit the green this week in Dublin, Ohio. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.